To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on Tim Evans and Dusty Reed. So these two guys have been dreaming of this once-in-a-lifetime hunt for a long time. So they, they want to go up to Alaska and hunt grizzly bears. And this year they made it happen with another buddy of theirs. And, and it's just an amazing story. Uh, they're great storytellers. Um, they had this great adventure. It gets sketchy at times. Uh, they are absolutely all in going for it and remind me a lot of how I hunt and how I would approach this situation. And so it, it, it's just a, a super engaging, great hunting story. And like all Eastman's Elevated podcasts, there's good tips and tactics that are woven into this story and conversation. But, you know, I was absolutely enthralled with uh, their story and, uh, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it or putting myself in that place and asking questions. It's just a, it's a great podcast. I really enjoyed it, and I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. Sponsor for today's show is Eberly Stock Packs. Uh, I'm really impressed by Eberly Stock. I've been using their packs for the last handful of years. And so they have a different pack for every different need that you could come across in the backcountry. So their kite pack is their day pack, and I love this pack. Uh, it fits tight to my back. Uh, it's small enough. I can move with it. So I can really hunt with this pack on my back. And I can pack everything I need for a day. In fact, I've actually been using it for overnight or quick two, three-day trips. Um, just because the the pack itself is so light and then it packs the weight really well, I can move with it. And then if I do kill an elk or a deer, I can get out an elk quarter or I can get out a deer on this pack frame because it's got a great suspension that packs the weight really well, great waist belt, and um, it's just worked really well for me. So that's their day pack. It's called their kite pack. I use their little big top. I use that for smaller overnight trips to up to five day trips. And I've been having my buddies use this pack quite a bit. So my buddy Dan has used this pack quite a bit. And then um, my buddy Dylan Ness used it uh, last weekend and really liked it. In fact, I think um, he's going to get one for himself. And so it's just a great pack. Again, um, well-designed. These are durable packs. Uh, they warranty everything they make. So that's their, their little big top. And then the other one that I've been using for expedition-style trips, five to ten dayers, uh, is their Destroyer pack. And their Destroyer... Um, it, it, same as those other packs, it's just got bigger cubic inches to be able to get more gear in there and, and then it packs the weight really well. So I use that pack a bunch. So Everly stock is just building a great product. They have a great price point. So if you guys are in the market for a new pack, make sure to check them out at Everly stock. Over at Eastman's, we've got some, some new magazines coming out. We've got, uh, uh, the Bow Hunting Journal, which does six issues a year. We've got the Eastman's Hunting Journal, which does six issues a year. And I pop in and out of these magazines and write some articles that I'm really passionate about. We've got our, our upcoming uh, Christmas issue. I uh, wrote a couple things for that one coming up in the Eastman's Hunting Journal. 
And it's just a, a great magazine. The subscriber stories, our staff articles, we just try to put in that pertinent information that that makes you a better hunter. And not only that, but I get fired up and motivation from reading other guys' stories. Um, other guys that have been successful on huge next level giants, you know, and, and reading how it went down for them and, and how their preparation, uh, uh, execution, and then just their effort. And um, the subscribers are such good writers nowadays that, that they're as good as, as us pros that are writing articles in there. So I, I just really enjoy the magazine every month that it comes out. If you guys are interested, uh, check it out. Uh, you can find it on our website on uh, eastmans.com. Uh, make sure to check out our Beyond the Grid, our internet TV show, uh, Dan Picard. I know he's releasing a, a new episode or two new episodes uh, with him hunting with his buddies in late season rifle for bulls. Should be a great episode uh, or great episodes uh, to check out on that. And and I will have some coming up. I know I've I've got three successful hunts thus far. I just finished another film. Been hunting with my buddy Dylan and my buddy Dan. We've been hunting late season muleys. Uh, during general rifle with our bows and arrows and and trying to catch up with a big dark horn muley and and dan finally did it this past week and put a perfect arrow in one awesome footage uh, just can't wait to share the story with you guys so that'll be coming out uh, check out our show on the outdoor channel i know i just set my dvr for it so i get all the new episodes and a lot of my episodes come out there on the outdoor channel and then come out later on the internet um, so yeah, it's, uh, Eastman's hunting TV on the outdoor channel. Check out that. We've got a new, uh, mule deer film that's going to be coming out soon. Um, it, it's going to be a full length in its entirety film. I've seen the, the short version. Uh, can't wait to check out the full version of it, but it's all about Wyoming mule deer and it, it's got, videos of Popeye and Goliath in there and some of Mike Eastman's old videos in there. Mike Eastman in the film talking and Guy Eastman and uh, they're talking about migration patterns and so there's just so much information in this film and it's really well put together and it has some of the biggest mule deer in the world on it. So uh, should be awesome to watch. That'll be coming out. I'll make sure to give you guys a heads up when it's released um, so you guys can find it and watch it but it should be an awesome film. And with that... Man, I, I have been having so much fun hunting these late-season muleys. Rut's starting to kick off. Uh, help Dan kill his best buck to date. Or not his best buck to date. Uh, he's got a couple bigger, but right up there with his best bucks to date. Probably top three or so. Uh, just for a really nice, big, dark horn muley. Put a perfect shot on it. Man, it was cool. Right over the shoulder. Uh, so super pumped at that. And uh, I've been getting after it. I've been close. Located this giant next-level buck. And was able to close to uh, just under 100 yards on them and and uh, kind of blew up but um and and then I had another one I got two stocks this last go and and horns wide frame just a bomber buck and snuck within 27 yards of it and um had him there had Dan over my shoulder filming for me and uh, just waiting for him to stand had no idea we were there I could just watch his horns twisting around down in the sage and his bed was like the the really dug out bed in there where uh, tough to see or tough to get a shot on his bed and he was always looking our direction or to our left and so would have seen me come up and over in his peripheral trying to shoot him and I couldn't go farther down the ridge which would have given me elevation because the wind was dicey there and so we kept a good wind for 45 minutes 
and finally it must have gusted around. He must have caught wind, and he just blew up out of there like a big buck does. But um, so exciting, so thrilling, and uh, just been having an absolute riot, covering covering just tons of miles in elevation, just mind-bending how far uh, you can walk out in this country that I'm hunting and, and, and how far I've been able to go and really get away from hunting pressure. I mean, it's general rifle season, and we're hunting them with their bows and getting chances. And, uh, man, I just love it with every fiber of my being. I'm having so much fun. I got the rest of the month trying to get a foundation in and um, trying to get my workload done. So I'm kind of a weekend warrior here. Uh, but but it's just an absolute riot, and I just cherish the days that I am able to get out there. A road was so sketchy coming home. Oh, my gosh. I saw... I, I don't know, seven, eight wrecks, semis, jackknifed, and it it had rained and then froze. Oh, it was so sketchy. 80-mile-an-hour highway and, you know, doing 35, 45 the whole way home. It took, like, you know, should take six, seven hours, and it took 12. <laughs> it was so gnarly. Uh, but uh, we made it home safe and sound. And, um, yeah, just getting geared up for the next one, getting my work done here. And, and um, I don't know if I'll be able to get out this weekend, but... Um, hoping to squeeze a, another trip or two out of this season and, and try to get a good buck on the ground, but having an absolute riot and spending good time with buddies. So, well, um, I'm rambling here. This isn't a solo podcast. This is a great one. So this is a, a, a hunting story about hunting grizzly bears in Alaska, Tim Evans and Dusty Reed, two great guys, great storytellers. And, and this is just a real engaging podcast. I know you guys are going to like uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney. This is Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live here. I got Tim Evans and Dusty Reed. Uh, so I met Tim. I've been emailing back and forth with them. And uh sounds like you had a heck of an, an adventure up there in Alaska, Tim. Yeah, sure did. Um it was a wild trip and some a long time coming. It's been a trip that's been on my bucket list for uh, years in the making and finally got in a place where I thought I could kind of pull the trigger and gather some buddies to go up there and do it. And we planned it out for, I don't know, six months, eight months and got to go up there here this fall and kind of live a experience of a lifetime. So it was super exciting. Yeah, glad we got to get up there and get it done. Oh, man, Alaska is a wild place, isn't it? And then, so Dusty was in on the hunt with you, right? And we got Dusty on the line. Do you have anybody else that went with you? Yeah, so uh, it was three of us that went up, and it's kind of an unfortunate deal. My cousin, who's usually kind of my adventure fishing slash hunting partner, he was supposed to go, and just because of how crazy of a year 2020 has been, he uh, he had to back out. And so it was going to be me and my cousin and my uh, our buddy Jeremy Olson, who was also on the trip. Um, and when my cousin backed out, my good buddy Dusty Reed had the the opportunity to step in and jumped in on the trip. So Dusty got to go with us. So, yep, there was three of us that went up, up all good buddies that live here in Wyoming. Fortune favors the bold, right, Dusty? Yeah, it was uh, quite the opportunity. These guys are pretty good salesmen, and they took me to my favorite bar and somehow convinced me to uh, attend this trip. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it, right? <laughs> they had a good yeah. pitch, huh? It was great. 
three beers and an ask. That's all it took. <laughs> well, good on you guys. So, so what were you going up to Alaska to target? Yeah. So, I mean, the primary target was brown bears. Um, oh, and wow. We did a, yeah. Yeah. And it, of course it's, it's hard to go into that country with just one, one target, of course. Um, there's so much going on up there. So, we actually, when we went up there, we had a grizzly bear tag in our pocket, a caribou tag in our pocket, and a wolf tag in our pocket, all three of us. Got right on. Alaska knows how to do it with tags. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. It was it, Granted, I will tell you, getting the tags was uh, quite the adventure. I will never, and this is Dusty's line that he brought out earlier, I will never talk badly about the Wyoming tag system and online application process ever again the alaska <laughs> one was quite the uh deal to traverse through and figure out how to get the right tags licenses hunting licenses registration metal game tags all of that stuff it was it was an adventure man it, it is a process to learn these different states and their regulations and yeah alaska um they, they've got plenty of paperwork up there and and they also enforce it really heavy too so man you got to make sure you got all your t's crossed i's dotted paper tags metal tags uh uh mail-in slips like what, whatever else they require there so i hear you there it can be quite a process so going up to hunt brown bears up there so you guys got to hire a guy to do that right yeah yeah so we, we learned through our research, and I, I've known this for a while since it's always been a dream of mine, but for, for brown bear as a non-resident, you absolutely have to have a guide or have to basically have a brother or a sister or a mom or dad that live there that can take you. So we certainly were guided up for the trip, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that uh, next to kin, um, yeah, that's a wild rule. But it, but it is good that, you know, family can hunt up there with other family. But I'm always so jealous that we do have to hire an outfitter for the brown bear hunts, mountain goat, sheep hunts. But it, it's just the way it is. And so, you know, you hope that you hire a guy that you can really get along with and be buddies with and team up and have a heck of a hunt. So so you guys are going brown bear hunting. About, like, like what location? So the brown bears are on the coast, right? And so you guys are somewhere on the on the east coast of Alaska? Yep, and I, and I guess I better clarify that. So obviously, well, for people who don't know, it seems like they almost classify them different species, and whether they are or not is probably up for debate. <laughs> I don't oh, it know. Is. Yep, for sure. Of course, but we actually looked at several hunts when I was in the really early planning stages of this, trying to figure out, um, you know, what our budget was, where we wanted to be, what kind of hunting experience we wanted, and we actually landed on Arctic grizzly bear hunting. So we were inland, so I guess they call an inland bear grizzly. Yep. And then also we were north of the Arctic Circle, so the bears we were hunting, they, they technically classify as an Arctic grizzly. Gotcha. I've been so in that we were, country and seen those bears. Those things have beautiful coats up there. It seems like they get like almost lighter in color up there, and they're still big size like those grizz bears up there i remember seeing one boar looked like he had a trash can for a head like uh he was way bigger than my mountain bears i see here in montana you know it seemed like he was pushing that six to eight hundred range mark so they get good size up there that's for sure yeah absolutely and just just wait till you see the the, the end result of this hunt and see uh what we what we brought out of there because one of the big attractions up there we learned was that they get a lot of color phase bears right so it's 
I don't know if it's the light, the the more you know, the more daylight they have, or just something in the genetics. I don't know, but they they get a lot of blonde bears and a lot of bears that are in between that deep dark brown and that super blonde color. So that's a big attraction for the place we went ended up hunting at. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it now. I remember seeing those bears with that real light blonde grizzled color. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, Tim. Oh yeah. So we actually ended up flying into Kotzebue, Alaska, which is north of the Arctic Circle by, I don't know, 40, 30 miles or something, on the coast, on the kind of extreme northwest corner of Alaska. And so that's kind of where we, quote, unquote, base camped. And and base camp's kind of a, a fuzzy word. It was really more just a landing spot while we waited to get on a smaller plane to jump into where we were hunting. Okay. Yeah, that Alaska is so remote. It seems like you have to take planes, you know, wherever you want to travel to in Alaska. Yeah. I mean, and I've been up there. That was only my second time up to Alaska. I've been up fishing, but really just stayed around the Kenai and Anchorage area. So it was kind of my first time really exploring any, any of the wilder parts of Alaska. And it was, it's super remote that, that town of Kotzebue was, you could just tell by building materials of what people use to build their houses and things that it's super remote. It's only accessed by water and air, to my knowledge. Oh, wow. And so you guys, uh, base camp is there, and then are you guys going to fly out to a further location then from there? Yep. And okay. so that was another attraction of, of the the place that we actually chose to hunt with was they have uh, – a select number of permits. I'm not exactly sure how that works between the outfitter and, and the state, but they go into the, the no attack wilderness preserve or no attack refuge. I think, I don't know if it's quite a wilderness preserve or maybe dusty remembers the actual name of what that is, but it's the no attack area and, and drainage is where we actually ended up flying into, which was uh, it's a huge area. It's on kind of the extreme West end of the Brooks range. Um, and we flew about an hour outside of uh, Kotzebue, kind of to the north and east. Okay. Man, that Brooks is beautiful, isn't it? There isn't a tree on that place, but that Brooks is sure beautiful. Uh, what an awesome mountain range. Yeah, it was a pretty stunning landscape. I mean, it was just – its if you've never seen it, it's kind of hard to even describe to someone who hasn't been there and seen it. Um, you know, it's it, – there's parts of it that are just nothing but rock as far as you can see. And then there's parts of it that are just deep, thick alders and willows. And, and then of course, explaining the tundra to somebody and walking across that and being a part of that whole mess is quite the experience in and of itself. Yeah. You have to walk that stuff to know what it's like. And you don't, it's like a puzzle that you can't solve. You can't walk on the tops of it. You can't walk in the bottoms of it. It's, it's all flooded. It's just, it's difficult every way you try to go about it, but yeah. Okay. So you guys got a lot of brush and alder down there as those mountains dump off or as they go uh, farther East then, or, or further, yeah, further uh, West, I guess would be the direction. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So are you guys North of the Brooks range or South of it? Oh, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, if it's kind of the Brooks range starts to taper out and almost slope into the Pacific Ocean at that part. Oh, wow. At that point, I guess. So okay. it, it's and, and I'm 
kind of trying to make this up from really broad maps we've been looking at because I've been trying to find a better map of where we were since we left. <laughs> I haven't got a good one yet. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No, you're just painting the picture of where you're at there. No, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and walking that that tundra was it, it that was an unforgettable part of that whole experience we tried to explain it in in six or seven different ways while we were there but it's almost like trying to walk on uh, dusty what did you use for the bowling ball reference that you were talking about up there well, the only way that i've been able to transfer this is it's like walking on basketballs that are held on with one inch piece of velcro that you can't step on or you'll break your ankle and in between those are like two wet mattresses, and every two feet there's a black hole that could go up to your knee or your hip. <laughs> Dusty, that's the best description I've ever heard of that stuff because <laughs> uh, that that actually explains it. Like when you tell me that, like that's what it feels like trying to move around. And so like to move a mile in that stuff takes the exertion of six or eight miles, doesn't it, guys? It's unbelievable. And I, I remember the first day after our buddy Jeremy that was with us uh, put a stock on a bear and then came back and was unsuccessful. And he said, guys, I will never complain about sagebrush, slate rock, sand, hills, rocks, anything. I will never complain about those again the rest of my life. <laughs> That's so true, too. Uh, yeah, you don't know what difficult walking is until you walk across that stuff. That stuff is so gnarly. And I haven't found the right boots for those things either. I mean, you like waders, uh, lightweight waders uh, in boots, like to do a bunch of miles in those seems to really wear a guy out and get really sweaty. Uh, any boots you wear with gaiters eventually get wet in that stuff. Like you say, that black hole when you sink up to your thigh. So I, I don't even know what, what is the right footwear for that stuff. Yeah, we'll definitely second that. We, we were recommended strongly by our outfitter to just assume you're wearing waders, uh, just regular waist-high waders, all day, every day while you're hunting. Okay. And so, and so that's what we ended up doing, and we went a few different ways about it. Um, me and Jeremy had just kind of your average fisherman waders, and they were, you know, the little bit baggier type, whatever, and just regular wading boots. I had some higher-end Sims ones. And he had some some other stuff he found that he thought were pretty comfy. Um, and Dusty actually went with um, some Sims, really nice, tight-fitting, good good waders, guide style. And then went and bought some, like, Under Armour semi-tactical regular boots a few sizes bigger to go over his neoprene wader socks. And I think he might have had the key there. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that worked out really well and that was the big takeaway because i'm a gear nut like if there's one thing that i am that i'm proud to be is i am a gearhead through and through and i love analyzing and looking at gear counting ounces all that kind of stuff and that was the one thing that i was super pleased that i did to the point to where jeremy if you can't tell jeremy's a character um that was with us he said that if he does this hunt again he's going to get tailored waiters He doesn't have the longest legs on the planet, and he when you when you were behind him going through all those tussocks, he looked a little bit like MC Hammer, the poor guy, <laughs> just sagging down. So the system was then is to have those tighter fitting waders so you could hike better in them, right? So you weren't fighting the bag, and then the 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 boots that you used were actual hiking boots, so they hiked better than like fishing wading boots, right? 
Correct. Yeah, I was able. To, my feet never hurt really. I didn't get any hot spots. Um, I was pretty pleased with with that so far. And they were just a inexpensive boot that was kind of more of a tactically version, like Tim said. That I never expected to wear again, other than something like that. So I didn't want to spend a million dollars on it either. But the feedback that I did receive is try to stay away from leather, um, especially because when it, it would freeze overnight many times, even beginning of September, and your boots would be rock hard, and you'd have to pour boiling water in them to get them broke free. Oh, man, nothing worse than frozen boots. It's like trying to get on a ski boot that's too small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh, okay. Well, uh, that might be my system for the next time I go up there, because I have not found the right system for that stuff either. But, yeah, that, that sounds like it worked pretty good. And did you use, were they chest waders, or they were just waist high? Pants waders, yep. Yeah. I think is the Sounds G4, the Gore-Tex, and they they uh, they were brand new on this trip, and they look so. Uh, I used to fly fish quite a bit in Wyoming, and after ten days of hunting in those, they looked similar to some of my full size waders after three years of fishing. So they, they take they take a beating. Yeah, I would say. So, gosh, trying to catch up to a, a grizzly bear in that country or in that muskeg, trying to cut the distance, that had to be difficult. Oh, yeah. Well. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty's, Dusty's story lends itself really well to that question. <laughs> okay, so so you guys fly into to the remote camp now, out of the base camp, and so you got three of your buddies and you got, like, uh, one guide between you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And then you guys set up camp there, and then you would hunt out. And then how, how were you guys hunting these bears? Is it is it spot and stock, find a high spot, and then glass around, and then try to make a move on them? Or are you getting to river drainages and, and glassing the far side? Or how are you guys going about it? Yeah, so our, our original plan and kind of the guide's go-to operation up there, as, as it appeared to be, was – get to a high spot and, and glass, right. And bring good glass. It's hard saying what your guide may or may not have up there. So if, if, if I was ever going again, I'd bring really good glass. Um, and we luckily had it. So we were there and capable of it. But, um, and the objective was to find one you could get in front of because the, the thought of chasing one down in that stuff after you've tried once or twice <laughs> is pretty daunting of a task. So, it was either find a bear that's going to go down to the river and fish or find a river that's ha- or find a bear that's happily staying put eating berries somewhere that you could get a hunt on and spend some time getting to it. Oh, gotcha. That makes so much sense, Tim. Like uh, hunting black bears around here, spot and stock in Montana, you have to read their behavior and what they're up to. And some bears are on the move that you can never catch up with. But the ones you want are the ones that are just feeding around in that meadow grass or saying put. And it sounds like that's what you guys were looking for is those bears that were going to be in that same area that would give you time to get to where they're at. Yeah, that's that's pretty well exactly what we were after. And it, it's certain we chased a few bears in the first few days because uh, we were pretty gung-ho guys. I don't know if they were quite ready for uh, the type of clients they had on hand that week with, with us being in shape, high country hunters, like ready to go chase stuff. Like we were ready to do whatever it took to get to get a bear. And that if that means hiking 10 miles to go chase one down, we were ready to do it. But in the end, that's not necessarily the greatest strategy per se. 
we certainly tried it the first uh, couple of days for a few stocks that we were after and uh, did not come to fruition on that. Um, and what they, the ideal situation for what they want is they want fish in the river and they want bears that are coming to fish. Now, whether you do or don't have fish there is kind of, you know, seasonal slash what's the run that year, you know, that kind of situation. So we actually did not have a very good fish river we were sitting on, either of us, because Dusty actually moved camps halfway through our, our week and ended up hunting with a different guide for part of it. But we did not have a lot of fishing bears the whole time we were there. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Like, uh, gosh, uh, the conditions always play a role in these hunts, you know, of what you see or where they're going to be. And, and that's wild. They split you guys up. So then Dusty, you went to a different river system and you started hunting there. Correct. I went about 90 miles, uh, due West and hunted the Cavalina river, Kivalina. I think I'm mispronouncing that, but, uh, that's, uh, there was the same kind of program there. I think the big thing too is this hunt I think would have been, if someone's looking at going on a hunt like this, if you fish and you can confirm that you have fish, the hunt is going to be 10 times easier than if you're looking for bears grazing on berries because the walking starts to commence and that's when you start doing the hillside game and figuring out what, where your wind's at. So the hunting, I think is, I think it's fair to say is significantly harder when you do not have fish because then put on your hiking boots. Oh man, I would say, I, Tim, I love how you described like your crew of guys and you guys show up and just so gun ho, just high country guys and so sick for it to get after it. Like, it's just like, show me a bear. I would have been right there with you guys running and screwing up those stocks with those bears just because I want it so bad, you know, and, and something you guys have been dreaming about forever. But you're, you're right. Like, uh, part of our like biggest advantages of hunters is to be able to adapt and adapt on the fly. And so you guys figured out pretty quick that that wasn't working, trying to run them down and had to get a little smarter with your approach or with the bears that you were going to go play on. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And we had actually two, three really good scenarios where we were trying to chase bears and, after our first couple of attempts trying to chase them and realizing that that's not really going to work. And, and it was almost three completely different scenarios. One was kind of blind luck chasing a bear and being in the right spot at the right time, but being willing to make that extra mile walk to get there. That was our buddy Jeremy's kind of initial hunt. And then we had my hunt that ended up being, We've seen bears in this area. It's a high traffic area. Let's just go and be patient and and stick to our guns and and see if bears come in. And 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 that was kind of my hunt how it went. And then of course Dusty, if you if you've ever met him, he's kind of a the most gung ho of the three of us that were up there. Had to go <laughs> ahead and make sure he marched uh, a country ten miles to get to where his bear was and just literally chase one down in that gung ho fashion. Good for you, Dusty. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Tim's story is still cooler. I tried hard to one-up him, but he still got me. Okay, so so who filled out first? So who filled out first on that tag? Uh, um, Jeremy fill out first on a bear? Nope, and I don't know what happened with Tim if he hopped off there, but accidentally, but... uh, Oh, he's muted. 
<laughs> so yep sorry about um, that guys i yeah. figured out the mute button <laughs> yeah, <no worries. laughs> yeah so so like uh it sounds like you had the most exciting one tim we should maybe save yours for the end so uh jeremy got his bear first yeah so jeremy we when we were in anchorage we were sitting at a bar waiting for our flight up to kotzebue and we had to figure out who was shooting first, second, and third, and who got who got first first right of refusal on a bear, of course. And so we ended up. We've got a little tradition of flipping quarters for dollars and and things of that nature. A little bit of a small gambling problem us three buddies have. And so we ended up flipping quarters to see who got first dibs. And Jeremy actually won first. I got second, and Dusty got third. Okay. T- tell me the rules of flipping quarters. How does that work? <laughs> well, uh, two guys have quarters, and they look each other in the eye, flip it up in the air, catch it, flip it on the back of their hand, and then one of them, you got to decide somehow who gets to call it, uh, will call evens or odds. So two heads is evens, two tails is evens, and a heads and a tails is odds. <laughs> I like it. Uh, right on. Well, it's, it's always good to work that out before the hunt, too, uh, who's shooting, because to have three guys that all want to kill a bear out there and not have it sorted out, who's going to go for the first one you see, that can be a mess up there, up in country. So you guys were smart to like work all that out ahead of time. Oh yeah. We weren't, we, we weren't going to go up there without having that figured out. We (laughs) we're too competitive of guys. We'd have been chasing each other, stepping over each other if we didn't have that ironed out. So we knew it was something we had to figure out. Well, Well, Dusty, what's your problem with quarters? (laughs) <laughs> well, I actually elect I, – I was the late guy into this hunt. So these two have been playing it for a year, d- darn near it, and I was probably at the – I don't know, Tim, what did I have, three months to prepare probably? That sounds about right. So – and I didn't obviously have as much money in the in the, in the the deal as those guys did, so I elected to go third because I would have felt bad if I would have went first and I had the cheapest – tab oh gotcha you're a good guy a good hunting partner i see why they brought you exactly <laughs> all right so uh so so jeremy's first up so you guys get there you start seeing a lot of bears and they're traveling country seeing boars sows with cubs what are you guys seeing out there so we we flew into camp and if if you weren't aware the first the first if you fly in on a day you can't hunt that same day um in alaska it's a rule they have so that first night we're sitting there glassing and and we see a bear with a sow with two cubs we ended up seeing that bear off and on the rest of the actual week which was cool um can't hunt them obviously um sows with cubs are are off limits Uh, but in the area we are if you have a dry sow you can't hunt them um so anyway then we end up that first day we can hunt up on our high point doing our glassing deal and we saw actually quite a few bears. We ended up seeing, I want to say, four bears that first day. I might have to consult my journal I had with me up there that day. But um, we actually started seeing quite a few bears in the valley we were in. Um, we first, probably the biggest bear we actually saw was that first day. And Jeremy was obviously up. And that was that first march he had and first introduction of ours to that whole tundra country. Um, and it was very much one of those bears that's kind of got a pretty good optical advantage of the country in front of him, sitting there eating berries, and they made a good hunt on it, but either way ended up pushing it, pushing that bear over the hill, and there was no chance of chasing it. So 
that was kind of his first foray, our first foray at getting a shot at a bear. Um, and so well, the next there's day, a, there's an interesting, sorry, Tim. I just think that there's such an interesting part of that too, though, because Tim and I shared some, some laughs because Tim and I stayed behind while Jeremy and the guide went out after this bear and we realized that we were going to be giving them hand signals on to kind of direct them where they needed to go just in case that bear went over. And we realized that we did not discuss hand signals beforehand <laughs> and didn't know <laughs> if, you know, if we're going to be speaking the same language there. We think it's pretty universal, but it turned out to not be uh, as universal as we thought it was. <laughs> I have been there before. <laughs> if you don't make a plan for hand signals, good luck. It's like foreign languages. Yeah, and your heart's pumping, and you're trying to look through binos at some guy standing on a hillside, you know, just wondering what in the heck he's trying to convey to you. So, yeah, we think that that took place just a little bit. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. So, no, so you're good, he, buddy. He didn't get a chance at that one then, right? Uh, uh, that one made it over the ridge, and uh, the hand signals uh, uh, weren't able to tell him which way it went or put him on it, huh? Yeah, so it jumped over the hill. It actually scented them, or not scented them, it heard them, I think, really early in their stock. They were probably 800 or 1,000 yards away, and I think I saw that bear look straight at them, stick its long neck out like it was looking and hearing and looking for something, got nervous, and next thing we know, it's over the hill and out of the country. Okay. And and, and we did give them good enough signals to at least get over the hill and take a look, but it still was to, to no, no fruition there. And... <laughs> Like we talked earlier, getting anywhere in that country is is tough. So by the time they got back, it was more or less glass for the evening and kind of done for the day. And so our, our next day, we obviously had been seeing a bunch of bears, so we're going to stick with the same program and get up on this glassing point. And we do, and we're sitting up there early, and, and real similar to the first day, we're starting to see bears again, and, and Dusty spots this one that's within a reachable distance, I think it was about two miles away, sitting on uh, a bench above the big river system we're on, just hanging out eating berries. It's like, well, that's a super huntable bear. If it's just happy doing its thing there, we can play ball here. We can go after this thing. So the guide and Jeremy and Dusty decides to go along on this one. And the reason is just because of kind of the artillery of what our different guns were because we all three brought some rather distinct firearms for this trip. And, and Dusty had a really good long-range advantage that would just be handy if a bear ended up farther than, than me or Jeremy's gun could reach so we could tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, let me borrow that, that firearm there and reach out and touch this thing. Oh, good thinking, Dusty. Yeah. So Dusty and Jeremy and the guide end up chasing this bear, and I'm sitting on the hill, ready to give hand signals again. And I, it, it, I swear the bear knew we were coming. It's still a mile and a quarter, mile and a half away. And they had just got out of reach where I could, like, yell at them. And that bear makes an about face and just heads off for the hills. Like, out of here. And so I uh, try to give these guys signals that the bear is completely out of the country. It's way over this hill good luck it's over there and somehow they, they they get the signal and go chase this bear over the hill and i can't see anything at this point from my my glassing point and where these guys head so probably pass the buck off to dusty to finish off uh jeremy's hunting story here on day two 
Right. So we uh, we ended up seeing this bear. It was moving right to left. It was probably a half mile away from us, and uh, we had to be pretty quick. And it's tough to be quick and still conserve energy at that same time. So we hump it over this hill. We get within range. It was about a 200-yard I say sprint, but you can't sprint in that, really. Um, it was a very brisk walk to get to where we needed to be to make the wind right to get a adequate shot. And it was one of those deals where it was hurry, 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 hurry. All right, get down. This is your one 30-second window. And I get I throw my pack down for Jeremy. He gets down on the gun. I'm looking through my gun, through the scope, and I hear click. And his gun, he was running an AR-10 platform. He, he built a 375 raptor before this hunt it was a really cool gun and uh he didn't get his slide all the way back so then he he racks it back and he stovepipes one so now we're dropping mags and having to reinsert mag and get it going again and the heart starts to pump and everything starts to go and he unfortunately ends up missing this bear and that bear gets out of the country on us so oh, that was man. that was oh, our first man. shot yep which happens i mean for anyone to say that that's never happened to him I'd, I'd shake your hand, but uh, it when all those things get piled up on, on top of each other and you just did a two-mile hump and me feeding Jeremy Snickers trying to keep his blood sugar up while we're walking across this tundra, I mean, it, it got it got pretty interesting there. <laughs> feeding him Snickers bars to get him there, huh? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> he's a trooper, man. Yeah, oh, that uh, takes so much energy to move across that stuff, and especially when you're trying to sprint across it, like the mountains or the tundra or wherever you're hunting, it's all about pace, and you can sustain a certain pace and a certain heart rate, but once you start to push past that, you're, you're running on borrowed time, like it's just a matter of time before you crash or before it catches up to you. Oh, that's yeah, so and true. It was, yeah, it was like the culmination of like the worst things that you could have all kind of entering in one place the poor guy kind of had to deal with and it was at the very edge of his effective range with that gun it was 403 yards i believe is what i ranged it at so and it was gonna go over the ridge on us we had like i said a 30 second opportunity and we just didn't get that one home Oh, man. Yeah. Like you say, it just happens, and it happens to all of us in that moment. It seems like uh, one of those details goes wrong, and then it starts compounding, you know, and then it's a, a rush shot at the end or whatever the case, or maybe you just missed it. But uh, what a heartbreaker. So so, so that was his encounter for the bear, his first he, first shot, right? So now he's pushed to the, to the back of the pile, or he's uh, got to let you guys get a chance, and then he's up again, right? Yep, yeah, then... Tim's up next. Right on, Tim. So you had a pretty extreme encounter with these things, huh? Yeah, I, I would I would classify it that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my bear that that day before when when Jeremy had his shot, that was pretty much the end of that day. You know, we hung out and glassed a little while longer, and actually spotted a, a really good looking bear and going up this one creek drainage away from us and. Uh, did not elect to chase it that night, but um, the following morning we ended up going straight to that because we just had seen the bear activity. It looked too good to be true. Um, it looked like a good area where bears maybe had been migrating back and forth to and from the river that we couldn't see from camp or really our glassing spot. So we made a pretty good hump in the morning to get over there and get 
get kind of set up to to be in a position where if any of these bears are traveling through here, we could get on them. And uh, we ended up sitting there for a long day, a very long, very cold day, sitting, glassing, and waiting, which which of course happens. And sometimes you got to put your time in. And we we knew it was a good area, so we stuck to it, stuck to our guns, and and actually came to came to some really good fruition. So. We end up at the mouth of this creek going into the big river. And I'm not sure who spotted it first, but this bear comes up over the ridge from where we'd seen that bear disappear the previous night. And it was one of the stranger things. These bears were way more nervous than I ever thought a like apex predator would be. So this bear was running. Like it was being chased, like, but, but it wasn't, this was just standard operating procedure. This bear came over the ridge and was running to the Creek we were sitting on over across this, uh, across this tundra, like it was heading to the big river. And so there's, there's some great video of it that Dusty has, but we're hustling to try to get in front of this bear and get where we can make a, make a play on it. Cause for sure, we're not chasing this thing down. I mean, when you watch this thing run across the tundra, there would be zero keeping up with it. Yep, got to so, got to be able to cut it off. That's exactly right. And so we 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 were able to do that. I get up, get in position. Of course, the brush is about chest high, and blood's pumping, running to get in position. And the bear is at 270 yards, but it won't stop. Is the thing. So it's still going like. And I, I legitimately think they it was trying to get from A to B as quick as possible so that maybe not a bigger bear or something saw it going. Like it was I don't I can't explain why a bear would run like that across that kind of country. But either way, that's all speculation. So either way, I end up taking a shot at this bear at two hundred and seventy yards moving. And I miss. So again, super high brush. Didn't have a good rest. Not my proudest moment, obviously, and and miss this bear. And, and so let me turns. let me interject here because Tim is a phenomenal shot. Like he shoots in the vortex extreme. He's a phenomenal long range shooter. So a lot of things had to go wrong for him to miss that shot. <laughs> well, thanks, Dusty. I appreciate that. But anyway, it it was it was tough and. Um, there was a lot of – if people think buck fever is a thing, just wait till you look at a brown bear through – a grizzly bear through a scope. Like, it's a very big nerve-wracking moment for sure. And if if those nerves don't come into play to somebody, I, I'm going to tell that person they might be lying to me, right? Yeah. Isn't that the truth? And the more you want it, the, the, the harder your heart beats. It's a new species for me are horrible with my bow and arrow. You know, when I first start, it, it's just like you say, buck fever is real. I, I missed a giant buck this year at under 20 yards where he just started to go and I punched my release off and it, it killed me, you know? So that, that's, uh, we all miss like, uh, but, but that is a heartbreaker on a dream hunt like that on the bear you want. And you didn't get a very good opportunity, Adam. You were just trying to make something happen with what you had right there. So, so miss that bear bummer deal. Right. So I'm too stubborn to give up is the is the baby problem maybe good thing about me i don't know if it's a if it's one or the other and so i end up picking my rifle up and moving to a different position where i can actually get a little bit better of a rest 
and this bear is running back where it came from. And so at this point, the bear is at about 400 yards. And so I'm good rest, ready to rock and roll, feel good about it. I know what my gun does at that distance. And so the bear's still going, kind of quartering away. And I cut another round loose at it and actually hit the thing. So pretty happy about that, pretty excited. The bear rolls. And so the bear takes a big tumble, a big roll, and does the thing where it's turning around, biting at itself where it got hit, which, unfortunately, it kind of got hit in the ass. Again, not my most proud moment. So I'm re-racking another round to, to put another round in this bear. And the bear jumps down into this creek that we were sitting on and disappears into all these alders. And don't see it come out. It's still in there somewhere. And so me and Dusty, being kind of the the guys of action that we are, just we're not going to sit there and wait. Me and him just start grabbing whatever gear happens to be present and running up this creek bottom. And so obviously the bear's got like a four or 500-yard head start on us. And so me and him are running up to try to catch up with this thing or try to get into a position where at least we could see it come out. Um, on the other side. So me and him make this super long dash, stripping clothes off as we go, overheating, running in waders, of course, and finally get to where we think we can see where this bear, if it was on the same trajectory, would either come out or we'd be able to look down and see it. And so we finally pause, slow up, and we're looking around, and our, our guide hollers at us from behind. And we're about 60 feet, I would say, elevation above the creek bottom. So we can look down into this thing pretty well from where we're at. But it's also, if you've never been in it, it's this super dense, tall alders and willow type plants. So looking into it really isn't an option. You're just looking for breaks in it where... The, the creek goes through or where something has fallen down over things and you can see into it, right? But otherwise, it's a shield. It's a canopy. So the guide hollers at us and says, hey, I saw it run across the creek right here and then go back and I lost it, but it's somewhere down here below us. So he's another 200 yards behind us. So we circle up and head back over to where he's at. So at this point, We've got four of us guys, the guide, myself, Dusty, and Jeremy, all posted up on a corner of this creek, and we're 95% sure that somewhere right below us here in this 200-square-yard area is this bear that we saw run across the creek, go back, and haven't seen it since. And so we end up sitting there for at least 45 minutes, it might have been an hour, looking for brush to move, looking for sounds, looking for it to run out, it's something to happen, right? And nothing's happening. I even think at one point we shot around in there just to see if something would jump, right? So obviously a little bit of a nerve-wracking situation, but throughout this part of the, the, the hunt, 
it really kind of switches in my brain to where it's just, hey, we got an animal in there. We need to go get it. And not thinking about kind of the, the situation we're walking into because next steps are me and the guide are going to walk down in there and try to find our bear. And at this point, I do think it's pertinent to talk about our guide at the point. He's, he's a good dude. He's hunting his butt off with us. We're, we're giving it our all. But truly, he doesn't have a ton of experience. In fact, I think he had about four days of bear hunting experience before we jumped in with him. Oh, and wow. so he was, he was a guide's assistant or apprentice is how they describe it up there. I don't know the exact terminology. But there's a master guide who runs the outfitter service. And then he's got a number of under guides or apprentices that work under him. And this was one of those guys. And so he didn't have a ton of experience in this exact type of scenario or what a guy should or shouldn't do at this point either. So we're kind of learning together on the fly. Okay. So we set up Jeremy and Dusty where they can look down into this creek bottom and see what's going on as best as they can. And me and this guide head down into the creek bottom. And uh, immediately me and the guide find blood. So great. We got somewhere to start. And again, I'm kind of just in mildly ignorant, just tracking an animal phase in my mind of what we're doing doesn't like set in right that you're walking in on a wounded bear or potentially wounded bear hopefully dead and so we start tracking this blood and again we're in this super dense alder creek bottom and so it's like if you really move your head and peek through the the branches and the trees you can on a good spot see about 15 yards Outside of that, it's just blind. It's just nothing but trees. And so we're walking and tracking this stuff through there. And I've got my big rifle in my hands. And the guide has his uh, 45 auto in his hands. And I decide, for better or worse, and whether it's a good decision or not, that that big gun is maybe not the best tool for the job at this point. And so I set my pack down, scabbard the, the rifle, and I pull out my handgun, and I've got a 10-millimeter Glock. And so both of us are walking through here, tracking blood with pistols in our hands. And I, it felt very short to me, but the guys above tell me this took like an hour and a half of us tracking this blood through here. And, I mean, we're covering probably 300 yards in circles where we found where the, the, the blood trail came in, so we're – the bear came into the whole big thicket, found where it ran around to the bottom, all these different places, right? And so eventually, there, there's no game trails through this stuff either, right? It's just places that are not too thick to walk and places that are too thick to walk, where you're just not getting through. So we get to this spot where it's kind of a T intersection is how I kind of like to describe it. And the blood trail goes to the right. So I take a right. The guide's behind me at this point. And I see, like, really fresh, big patch of blood right below me at my feet. I'm like, okay. And so I look up, and I see the bear. 
And so I don't see like fur, bear, laying under a tree, like nothing like that. Like, like a silhouette, like you're looking through closed blinds that the sun's shining through and someone walks in front of. I just see this silhouette of this bear sitting on its butt with its nose in the air. And it's probably at about like 18 feet, not yards, like really close, 18 feet. And so uh, obviously a little bit of, oh boy, what did I get myself into comes in at that moment. And I take a few steps back and the guy says, okay, back up, back up, because he sees it shortly after I do. And so we're backing up through this little corridor and he says, back up, back up. And we make it about six feet back. And after a few steps, you don't see the bear anymore. It's just brush. It's just a big wall of brush, right? And so we're backing up. And he says, back up, back up. And our backs are against one of those places where you can't walk through it. Like The only way to get through that would be to get on my hands and knees and on my belly and crawl through it. And so he says, back up. And I tell him, I can't back up anymore. And we are bending all these willows behind us, pushing stuff backwards. Obviously, both guns and hands looking at where this bear was. And I don't get those words of, I can't back up anymore, out of my mouth by the time I hear, oof. And I guess I've learned since that they call that a chuff. And that's that bear kind of woofing at us. And as soon as that happens, the guide goes, it's coming. And again, he doesn't get that word all the way out of his mouth before that place explodes. And I mean, it, the, the whole place turns into madness. And that bear is coming directly at us. And so, again, super, super tight quarters, super thick, thick stuff. The first time I see this bear, like I can see fur, face, bear head, bear paws, like I can actually see the bear is at about 15 feet. And I'll never in my, uh, my whole life forget the image. This bear's head was, I mean, it looked two feet wide. I'm sure that's not what it truly is, but it looked just giant. All you see is bear head and bear shoulders. And its head is about a foot off the ground. And it's, do, it's doing that to get through all this brush. And it's doing what looks like a swimmer's breaststroke just pushing through this stuff, making lopes at us through this stuff in that way. And so we start getting rounds off at this thing at about 12 feet. And we sat and measured all this stuff later. But either way, we 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 don't hold back much. It's pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa. And that bear dumps on the turf and... Hits its face about three feet from my boots. And it's sitting there on the ground, rolling over on its side, scratching at its face. Where we must have hit it. And out of lack of anything, knowing what else to do, I take a big sidestep to my right um, where I could escape if I needed to. I don't know. I took a sidestep that way. And the guide says, do you have more? And I go, yeah. And that bear picks its head up again like it's coming. 
and the guide puts one round in his head. I put another round in his head. And at that moment, the guide, (laughs) (laughs) the guide yells, I'm out. Like he's out of ammo. I'm out and jumps behind me. (laughs) (laughs) Like the most athletic thing I've seen him do all week leaps behind me. And as he's going, he says, shoot it in the vitals. And so, okay, I turn and I put three more into its shoulder blade. And then I feel my Glock slide lock back. And so, obviously, like, there's no more fighting coming out of me towards this bear. I have zero ammunition in my pistol. The guide has zero ammunition in his pistol and has, for all I know, he's still running. Like, I don't know. I'm sitting here looking at this thing and emptied my pistol. So I turn and I'm out. I'm gone. So I turn and I take three big steps going through this stuff. And again, remember, super dense, super thick. I've got an antenna of a, of a rifle sticking out of my pack. I trip. And, I mean, the adrenaline rush that's happening has my brain moving at a speed that's hard to imagine or hard to describe. I trip and I know my feet aren't catching me. And it's like in slow motion, I'm going down and I'm telling myself, this is how you die. (laughs) You're an idiot and a klutz and you just tripped and a bear's going to eat you because you tripped. (laughs) And fortunately I hit the ground and there's not a bear on top of me. And I start swimming through this stuff using every ounce of my six-and-a-half-foot frame to drag myself through as far as I can. And I make it another 15 feet or so, throw my pack off, pull the big rifle out, turn, and look. And I'm expecting, of course, a big, giant bear to be there rushing at me, and I don't see it. Okay. So I'm, I'm sitting there posted up with my big rifle pointed that way, and, and I hear Dusty up above yell, hey, you guys all right? And I don't remember exactly what my response was, but it was more or less, no, we're not all right. Get your butt out of here. Bring guns and ammo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe mildly panicked. <laughs> and uh, the story actually from up above of what's going on at this point is uh, pretty a pretty good shade to this part of the story. And Dusty's probably better apt at at telling what's going on up there. Well, it's interesting because Jeremy and I are about 80 yards apart from each other. And I'm out on this point. And when Tim talks about that last retreat that he made, the only way that I can visually represent with words of what was taking place is it looked like a bulldozer hit all those alders and was knocking it over with its front bucket. And that was Tim falling down through the alders and rolling backwards. And when Jeremy didn't, could not hear me yelling and what their responses were. So all he heard was muddled voices. And from Jeremy's perspective, he says he looks over at me and sees me shuck and close and grab my rifle and my pistol and dive off. Cause I was, it was pretty steep. I kind of did a, if I had to, if you asked me to do this again, I probably couldn't do it. It was more like, hey, my friends are in trouble. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go help. I did like a little baseball slide thing down this face of this little cliff, and probably did three front flips and landed in the creek, and then got through the alders and get up next to Tim, and he's breathing a little bit hard down on his knees at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I still haven't let the rifle down. I haven't moved from 
my position of throw the pack down, pull the rifle out, one knee up, staring down where I thought this bear was. And then Dusty shows up, and I don't remember this. It gets real fuzzy here where where the adrenaline <laughs> dump is going on. But he says, I looked over at him and said, I'm really glad you're here, man. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm so glad you're here, buddy. <laughs> and the the guy the guide was to my left, and I hand him my rifle. I and I shoved it in his chest. I'm like, shoot it with this if it comes back. <laughs> I had my pistol, and Tim had his rifle out at this point. And now it's figuring out who's going to cover what area while we encroach ourselves back into this. And at one point, I'm kind of fired up. I don't know where the bear is. I don't know anything about it. I was like, okay, what's our plan here, guys? And Tim looked at me, and he said, I'm not in any damned hurry to go back in there just yet. (laughs) (laughs) Probably with a small or large sense of panic in the tone of my voice when I might have said that. (laughs) So the three of us are armed. We're all pointed in the right direction, and we're all in this super thick alder patch, and so – again we gotta we got an animal in here we gotta do a job so we start creeping in and it's and by creep i mean we make six inches and all of us look see if anyone could see fur 18 inches off the ground yeah you could only (laughs) we were on our bellies looking underneath all the leaves is the only way you could see right so we're we're creeping in and we make it about another five or six feet and and finally, all of us can see fur, and it's it's okay. Does anyone see it moving? No, <laughs> no, no. Okay, I'm like, well, I don't like taking any more chances after what we just went through. We got two big guns pointed at it. Dusty, cut one loose at that thing with the pistol, and if it if it stands up, it's gonna get some heat from the big guns. And so Dusty cuts one loose at it, and I see we're even hit on the bear, and, and the bear doesn't move. So so bear's dead. Finally, bear is dead. <laughs> and bear's down, and we're able to go approach and and then jump up on this bear. Oh, man. But... <laughs> How intense. Oh, gee, I can, I can feel it, too. Like, uh, I've been in those situations where I've been charged a couple times, and nothing quite as intense as that. But I have also emptied 11 rounds out of a Glock at a bear that was charging at me. Mm. So I know ex- mm-hmm. the exact position and feelings. Like, I feel like I'm there with you guys. Dude, that is so wild. Oh, it was it was wild. So me and that guy, shoulder to shoulder, cut loose 28 rounds at that thing right there. Like, and 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 I mean – that's a few big takeaways. Like I called my cousin who's a, a firearms instructor and, and all of this cool stuff. He's done a lot of that kind of shooting and tactical stuff in his life. And he would always make me go and shoot. Like whenever we would go shoot rifles and hunting rifles and stuff, he would, he would always make me go and shoot and practice and get better and be all this. I called him as soon as we were out of there and thanked him for just <laughs> putting me through the run, you know, making me learn the learn the tools learn the weapon learn the tactics learn because there was no time to think there was no time to aim there was no time for any of it like it's all what what did you bring into the woods with you because there's no time and then the other one is if it would have been just the guide or been just me we probably would have got chewed on you know that 
the 10 millimeter, like there's a lot of talk about what bear gun you should bring into the woods and, and which pistol is the best and what ammo you should bring. And, and I've got some comments on all of that, but I'll tell you right now, none of it's enough until you have a big gun. Like I probably should have had my rifle out instead of the pistol. Like the pistols, they're just not enough. Like it just, you, you can't bring enough pistol from my experience to that fight and win in that close of quarters. Like it's not enough. Makes and sense. that was another, that was another crazy one coming up on that bear and walking up on it was there was two very different attitudes there. There was, there was me who's like shaking with enthusiasm and adrenaline, like literally shaking. Like you can hear the rattle on my slide of my pistol shaking and excited, <laughs> like really, really excited that this bear is dead and I'm not right. And that we, we accomplished it. We won, we got it. And then there's the guy who, again, not a ton of experience. He's standing there. White as a ghost. White as a ghost. And, like we we there's a pause in the conversation or at least a pause in the walking up and and all he says is I thought it was gonna get its mouth on me. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he was he was rattled pretty hard. Man, I would say, huh? Nothing that I I like what you said about the pistols and the big gun. Um, man, I carry that ten mil with me, but it does feel when a bear's coming at you that it's not enough. Uh, you hit that thing and it keeps coming. How many times did you guys end up hitting that bear? Do you think with those pistols? It, I, I wish we would have been more diligent at counting holes, because there was a lot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there was obviously the three from when I stepped to the side and 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 shot at its vitals, um, and and put three into its side there. But there was several in the front shoulders there was two directly on the snout and one directly in its cheek on the side of its face um i mean i i, I counted at least eight to ten and that was a pretty you know just seeing what happened when we saw the skin job so i mean there may be more but there was a it was significant it got hit a lot yeah you guys were putting some rounds in it uh, throwing some lead in the air. Gosh, dang it, man, that is intense. And, um, so did you, at, at any one point, did you ever find your sights on your pistol or was he so close? It was just point and get off rounds. You know, it, it was kind of, it's a blur. It's a full blown blur. I yep. do not ever remember looking down a sight picture at the bear. Okay. I remember seeing that image and seeing it blow up and seeing it coming at us at that close range. Um, and I, I just remember going to the trigger and going after it. Um, I remember the sight picture when I moved to its vitals after it had dumped. Yes, that's so I what I was going to ask. Okay. But everything before that was such just – reaction madness adrenaline immediate craziness that i i honestly don't remember i don't remember if i aimed i don't remember if i stared at the front sight i don't remember if i 
you know, I, I don't remember if my hand position was good. I don't, I don't remember any. I don't remember if my trigger pull, pull was good. Or if you I could have been shooting like left-handed, crazy. huh? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I sure could have been. I don't know. <laughs> huh. I mean, that's way more intense than the couple charges I've had, but I remember that black bear. I arrowed him through both lungs, and then he came at me. And the, the hillside just forced him at my direction, but then he saw me and started coming at me. But I... I shot 11 times. I grazed him once and hit him twice with that pistol. And it was like I didn't find my sight until about eight shots in, and there was dirt <laughs> flying, and um, that bear kept coming. And it, I, and it felt like once I hit him one time, you know, I finally found my sights or whatever. He got close enough where my lead finally hit him. But, man, that is so intense. I can't imagine that in the alders with a grizzly bear and those pistols down and through there. Man, there was absolutely no time to think, only react. Man, you you are lucky that bear didn't get a hold of somebody. Gosh, damn. Yeah, very, huh. very. And I mean, and that's it. We've we've we replayed that thing a thousand times over camp the next several nights, and a few times since then over cold beers. And it it, it was a lot of luck that. That, yeah, it didn't get its mouth on one of us. I mean, because there was a lot of times when me and that guide were walking around down in the, that, the, that bush that we were 20 yards apart. Hey, where you at? Hey, where you at? Hey, would you find any blood over there, you know? Uh-huh. And if it would have come at us at one of those points, it would have been a really bad deal. Or, you know, God forbid, like the buck fever takes over or and one of us doesn't have the wherewithal to, to get on target and put rounds on the thing or – you know, turns and runs for all we know, you know, it, it, there's so many things that could have gone wrong that you lay awake in a tent on your own in the middle of the night for the next seven days thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I, oh, I've I replayed it a lot in my brain. There's so many things that had to go right. And, and two, even setting your big gun down, like who knows what would have happened with the big gun too. You definitely got way more knockdown power but you have less ammo and you have a bigger gun to try to wield. I'd like to think you would have got that rifle on him and put a good heavy couple rounds in him, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's, that, the... that's a great point because I think a lot of people hear this story and think, why didn't you use your 416 Rigby? And I think you have to stand in those alders and think about the situations that you're in and, and whether or not you can turn to your left or right with a long gun and you can't. So I think I honestly think Tim made the best decision he could for what the circumstances he was in, because if that bear would have went left or right and he didn't have a clear shooting path, you can't turn it once you're shouldered. Yeah, that makes sense. Man, oh yeah, man. and that's what was going through my brain. And it was it was interesting. The the head guide actually ended up in camp the next day and, and kind of gave us a little bit of a, a little bit of a dad talk like, hey, guys, I'm glad you all are out of here, but you need to learn a lesson. Like this is how you should have approached all of that. (laughs) And maybe you didn't do it right. And that was a big one for him was don't go in there without the big gun. And, you know, it's hard to say we did it wrong because we're here to tell the story, but at the same time, you know, could it have been a little more safe? Could it have been this or that? You know, there's a million different ways we could have looked at that and thought about it, but there was, there was a lot of discussion about it. That's for sure. Hmm. So after the discussion and thinking about it and everything, like, uh, how would you have handled the situation different, you think, Tim? I'd go in with a big gun. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. and I mean, there's scenario, it, 
I happened to have a scope that was went down to like one and a half power, right? And uh, and it's a it's also a discipline thing, you know. We've all seen those videos of the professional hunters in Africa waiting till the last second to shoot that lion that's pouncing on them, and you know, the, the, there's some good scientific and measurable facts about if you hit something with that big of amount of energy at that range, it's instantly dead. But you also have to have the discipline to sit and wait until you know your shot's right and hit it. So there's 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 levels there of comfort with your weapon and comfort with what you have. And are you prepared to make that shot? And I honestly felt more prepared with the pistol. So maybe I made the right decision. I mean, I had prepared with the pistol. Like, literally, that gun, that ammo, drawing from the hip, putting rounds on target close, I had practiced all of that just by happenstance of my my cousin almost forcing me to. But for sure, if I would have hit that thing one time with the 416 Rigby, it'd be done. And I'm pretty handy with a rifle, but I've never practiced it at six yards either. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's it's it still resonates in my head as a debate that comes up, to be honest. Man, yeah, that's I mean that's the lesson I learned on mine that I didn't practice enough with my pistol that I carry it around and I shoot a box of ammo every year. But yeah, after that last charge that I've had, I've had two charge me. One I hit with my bow as it was coming at me, and the that last one with the pistol. But uh, I I put way more time with my pistol and on target and finding my sights. And, and I think that's helped me a lot to walk around with more confidence. But anytime I'm going in, like I had to help a buddy pack an elk deep out of grizzly country, he ended up cutting his hand with a havel on. And so the next day I went in with him and this is a spot where, you know, there was 14 bears a year ago that were feeding on dead cows up at the top of this deal. So there's a bunch of them in there. Uh, but I've started carrying that, uh, my, my 12 gauge with slugs in it and, uh, shooting with that to make sure I'm accurate at close range. Cause I, I think you're spot on as those pistols, uh, you know, I don't know that that's quite the weapon for the job at close range. You do want something that'll knock that thing down. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's just, again, I can't stress it enough. It, it, it wasn't enough. Yeah, I needed more firepower. God. What did it feel like when you started shooting? Did it feel like, am I hitting this thing or my bullets aren't doing anything? It it felt like it was never going to stop. Like, Ugh. it felt like it was going to keep coming. Like, when it finally dumped and you almost have a half a second to even think or exhale, it was like, I, I didn't think it was going to. So, I mean, it, you got your money's worth like on that. It's not like you hit it. <laughs> <laughs> you got your money's worth on that grizzly bear hunt. Wow, how intense is that? Sure did, sure did. <laughs> you got the full experience. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Tim, that is wild. That close proximity like that, man, I, I just can't imagine that firefight in the alders like that. Yeah, and it, it and that's exactly how my buddy uh, Jeremy, who was up there on top, he was. this is how he described it. He was sitting there smoking a heater because that's what he does. <laughs> Watching down the alders, <laughs> getting bored. <laughs> and he said it erupted like Mogadishu down there, and it was. I mean, it it was a it was a pretty legendary little firefight. And he said he could see smoke coming up above the twenty foot alders. But yeah, it was it was the experience of a lifetime, and 
I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm here to tell the story about it and I'm glad that we, we got it done and, but it was wild. Wow. Yeah. And Dusty, what a good friend to just like not even think about it and dump down into those alders with your weapons to go help your buddies. Like that's the hunting partner you want on one of those things. Uh, that that's crazy. And, um, uh, uh, sounds like a pretty good slide you made down the hill that you could not repeat unless you had that adrenaline flowing through you again. Hundred percent. I would. I'd tear three ACLs if I tried that right now. <laughs> that is crazy. Well, what what a trophy, man. Oh man. Uh, yeah, your taxidermist is going to have to do a sewing job on that thing. It sounds like he's got a few holes in him, but good for you, Tim. I mean, what a bear. How how cool. Yep, yep. And that's actually one of the few things I said while we were down there. I got a good taxidermist. Put another hole in that thing. It's fine. <laughs> we'll figure this out later. That was smart. He's, Tim's got to have the coolest skull, too, because he's got a skull that between the eyes have two pistol holes about an inch apart. Oh, my gosh. So it made it through the skull. Yeah, yep. those went those went straight through the skull, straight through the top of his mouth plate and into his into his his neck somewhere we recovered one of those bullets but yeah two of them right directly in there and then one that actually knocked off the the hinge on the lower jaw on the on the right side of his face left side of his face man and and those those two shots do you think those are the two that finally knocked him down big enough to where you could get to the side and fire him in the vitals were those the two shots that did it i do I really do. I mean, because when it went down, it went down face first, and it, it was scratching at those. And yeah, I, I think those shots in the in the face were the ones that ended up making making the difference there. Huh. Well, and you <laughs> did face. get some in the chest and in the shoulders, but it seems like when these bears charge, I always figured, oh, I'll just put it on the front of them. But when they charge, they charge with their heads down, and so it's a real low target to shoot at. You don't have a good shot at them it seems like when they're coming in is that what you found too is it was just all head leading in towards you yeah absolutely i mean the only things i saw were were giant head and ears and mouth sitting there again amazingly low to the ground like and i don't know if it was because of the bush or or just what it was what it was after but it was nothing but that head and those shoulders pushing through that stuff it's all i saw Oh man, how wild! Uh, well, what a trophy, man! Did you guys get any other chances while you were there, uh, uh, Dusty? You get to chase one after that. Yep, I ended up. Um, well, that day after is when I flew to it, and I don't know if you want to go down the path of my story or not. I don't know how your time looks, but uh, mine has got its own really interesting. Um, hey dusty sorry i lost you there like connection it's been great the whole time but i i uh you kind of broke up right there, but I want to hear the whole story. Like we got to finish out the hunt. So, uh, so, so take off again. Like, um, so you finish up the hunt and then you're going to fly out to a different camp, right?
Oh, I lost you guys there. I'm I'm not sure if we didn't lose Dusty there. I mean, I I heard what you heard in a broken up story there, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, well, hopefully we can reconnect and get his side of the story and finish up the hunt. Man, that's so wild, Tim. I I can't believe. Yeah, like that. but if I have to, I can absolutely tell his story for him. I've I've heard it a few times, so I can jump in there if need be. I mean, it's better if he tells it, but I wasn't there. Yeah, we'll give him a minute here and see if his connection comes back. But, uh, man, how wild that firefighter. Oh, I now, guys. Oh, I can hear you now, Dusty. Perfect, perfect, so, perfect. So, Sorry, guys. Oh, no worries. We had a great connection the whole time. It just broke up right as you started telling your side of the story. So uh, you guys finished up with <laughs> Tim's Bear, and then you you actually flew out to a different camp. You got your dad talk from the head outfitter, and now you're flying out, and you're going to continue to hunt for your bear. Right, so I hop in a Super Cub and fly about 90 miles west to a different camp. And the camp that I went to, unfortunately, the client before me in that camp had to leave early because he was sick, um, horrible diarrhea, vomiting, etc. So my first question is, how's the water here, guys? And, uh, <laughs> Good question. The, uh, <laughs> the guide uh, looks at he says, well, I've been putting five or six drops of bleach in it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my filter here, um, and probably opt out of that. And then the next day we get up to glass from our glass and spot, and uh, my guide can't even look through his binos because he's so nauseous and he's using the bathroom about every 15 minutes. I'm like, oh boy, this is going downhill quick. So I end up playing the glassing role and um, for three days I stared at bears that were about four. What I thought was four miles away. So one thing that I took away from this hunt was that everything in Alaska is longer and bigger and harder than what I'm used to. I'm used to looking across drainages and et cetera, looking for sheep, elk, moose, whatever you, whatever you want in Wyoming. And I usually think I have a pretty good gauge of how far away things are. And I was wildly off in Alaska. I can tell you that. <laughs> um what I thought was about four miles to the north was not. And the morning of the third day, I looked at my guide. I said, all right, buddy, let's put our jet boils in and let's hike north because I'm not going to blank because I refuse to walk. So we hiked up to another glassing spot and immediately got to the top of that, which was ended up being about five miles to the north. And we get up to it. We see a beautiful bear. We try to figure out a game plan. It seems to be somewhat stationary hanging out eating berries and they just mow the berries down it's unbelievable it's like you with a with a weed eater they just completely mow them over left and right sweeping and we got a pretty good hold on where we think this bear's gonna go based on looking at him for two days and we get ourselves in a position and wind is horrible and it's quartering almost to the bear where we're at so we had to add about another mile to get on this bear and it turned into a two-and-a-half-hour stalk across open tundra. And this bear was super blonde. It was a beautiful bear. And its rear end was super dark. So we didn't even really need to use binos to see the aspect of what this bear was doing. So every single time we saw a dark spot, we'd start walking towards it two to 20 yards at a time and then drop down to our knees every time it turned towards us for about two-and-a-half hours and finally able to get a 500-yard shot before it was going to be out of our sight picture. 
and ended up dropping it at 500. I pumped three more rounds into it, probably because I had a little PTSD from <laughs> Tim's experience. And that was that. It was about 6.30 at night, and it gets dark up there about 11.30. So it took us about 40 minutes walking to get to where the bear was after we shot it. And then it comes down time to where I'm like, buddy, we are far from camp and we need to figure out something quick on what we're going to do. And my guide's inReach was dead. Thankfully, I brought an inReach as well. And I, and I start text messaging or emailing the outfitter and said, hey, bud, weird request, but I'll give you 500 bucks if you land your super cub up here and take us out of here because it's going to be a horrible walk back with this bear. And it's going to be dark. And he kind of laughs it off. Congratulations. Good job. You know, make it south and we'll let you know uh, how it goes. And he ends up flying over us from a separate camp with some caribou in his belly. And the guides all have VHF radios. So anytime you hear a plane, it's a scramble to get your radio out and get the antenna screwed on and turned on so you can talk to the pilot. And he flies over us. And I told him again, I was like, hey, man, is there any way you can land on this river? There's a river to about a mile west of us right now and he said i can't and we don't have any wind um you guys make it south congratulations almost acted like you know we were a couple hundred yards from camp is the way he was kind of responding to us and he flies south and me and the guy look at each other it's like all right but we got a hell of a long night ahead of us here and all of a sudden the plane comes back and we it's another scramble to get the radio out and we're like hey what do you need and he said, you guys are pretty far from camp. It's like, yeah, bud, that's what we've been telling you this whole time. We're really far. So well, he feels bad for us, flies back to Kotzebue an hour and a half south, gets two sleeping bags, a can of Spam, and a tarp, and flies back up and airdrops it to us in the, in the tundra so that we could spend the night up. <laughs> and he's like, okay, uh, you know, there's a good place I can land up here tomorrow morning. Let me know when you guys have about 10 to 20 knots or miles an hour worth of wind, and uh, I'll land on this river for you. So we get our tent found, or not our tent, our tarp found in our sleeping bags. And when I say sleeping bags, they're not the kind of bags that you would, like a down sleeping bag that's like two or three pounds that packs down pretty small. These are negative 30, like, car camping bags that are as big as our packs. I was like, okay, that's interesting. So we, we get ourselves down to the river where there was some, hopefully some driftwood and we've been wet for three days. And I had one eight by 10 sheet of paper. That was my extra grizzly tag for Tim's area where he killed his for us to start a fire. And I was pretty nervous about it and because I really wanted a fire because we were sopping wet. Not one of us had one foot of paracord on us. And we ended up having to use our boot laces and make a baker's tent with our tarp to sleep on the side of the river that night and my sleeping bag didn't quite work and I had a little bit of a breeze all night long going up the side of it because it didn't zip and we we're sopping wet trying to dry our socks over this fire and the next morning we somehow here's one thing I do keep in my safety kit is I keep two Tylenol PM with me and him and I split those so that we can hopefully get some sleep um, and it worked well for what I, I bet I got five hours of sleep which was great we get up the next morning, and we're trying to figure this out, and I'm messaging on my inReach to the outfitter, and he said, I've got a hurt hunter in another camp, and I've got to move some camps. You guys make it as far south as you can, and text me if you see more runways. So we start our walk. I look at the guide who, 
at the, has just got the best attitude. He's a young guy. He's also a new guy as well, but he had the attitude just that was bestowed confidence and was a very selfless guy. And I just, I thought he was a great young man. And I looked at him and I said, buddy, we've got some heavy ass packs because we're also packing out the, the sleeping bags and the tarp and we got the hide and the skull. And I don't think I want to walk through too much tundra. Do you? And he said, no. I said, well, I don't, we didn't have a map of the area, but we knew that this river ended up at our camp somehow. And I don't care if it goes back and forth. We need, we're going to stay on the riverbank or the rocks and make it a little bit nicer walk for us. Who cares if it's another mile or two? Well, it turned into 11.47 miles of river and we had to cross it about 13, 14 times on all the bends just to get back to our camp that day. It took us six and a half hours to get back to camp that day. And uh, we won the award for longest pack out of the last 10 years is what the outfitter said. <laughs> oh, Dusty, that is brutal. Uh, uh, you sound like one of my hunting buddies. that's just absolutely all in all the time. And that's what it takes sometimes to kill those critters. Uh, but it, but it sounds like uh, once you got over there and realized you didn't have camp and everything, it's like, oh, no, and you're sopping wet. Uh, we get ourselves into some pretty tough situations, don't we? Yeah, I mean, but you have this false sense of backup. You know, I've, you know, we get the outfitters got a plane, et cetera. We can do it. We can do it. But then when you're also stalking this bear and it takes so much more time than you think. I mean, we started at six that morning and didn't get that bear shot until 630 and we only lost sight of that bear probably twice so we were on the bear for almost 12 hours and the last two were the most intense of carrying my gun with just by the sling upside down hunkered over for two and a half hours slopping through those tussocks that you know that tundra and trying not to get seen and doing your damnedest to not rush something that you spent so much time at this point getting yourself to this moment to be in. That was the last thing I wanted to do was take a crack shot and not have a good rest and blow this. So the proudest moment I had from that hunt, honestly, from a personal reflection level, is I called I called a shot off once. I was set up on the bear. It was about 610 yards. I'm pretty confident with that gun out to about 800 or so. And I called it off because I just didn't trust my rest. And that was one thing that I look back on and I was super pleased with myself on that I hope to try to bestow upon, you know, future hunts. Oh, you should be. That's such great discipline. The barrier dreams is sitting there and you just know your rest isn't quite right. That's one of the toughest things in the world is to pull yourself off it, uh, you know. Uh, but we've learned through mistakes too of, of letting shots go that we that we don't like or we don't feel confident with. But good on you. That's great discipline. Yeah, you should be proud of that. So that oh, night I didn't pass out. What a good a hunt, you guys. You guys got the full experience. <laughs> that is wild. Oh, what a trip. Yeah, we we chalked it all up on that one for sure. <laughs> man, oh, man. Yeah, Alaska definitely has some adventure, and uh, you guys found it up there. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a wild trip. I mean, it's... It's certainly it was it was weird splitting up camps too because we didn't know what what you know Dusty was getting himself into and he didn't know if we were still on bears and we had just had that experience in the alders so it was you know <laughs> trying to check in on each other where we can with the inreach but that ain't working very well and 
it was it was pretty wild trip and then to be able to come back together at at our at our base camp and be like well did you get one and, and share stories and come back with all of that craziness that that dusty went through on his hunt it was it was a wild wild trip man get on you guys well i, I yeah, can't tim, tim was a tim was a little bit of a celebrity i mean all the other hunters that were coming in behind us etc they'd walk in are you the guy that shot the that got charged or are you the guy that just walked 11 and a half miles or (laughs) (laughs) they're still telling stories (laughs) yeah word got out before we were back to camp that there was a there's three yahoos from wyoming that went up there and bushwhacked (laughs) the hell out of this deal they're still telling (laughs) stories about you three (laughs) (laughs) that is great uh that's how i uh you know, I imagine like if I had to go on a, or if I I plan to go on this giant hunt like that, like that that's how I'd plan to put effort forth, is like you guys did. Just want one so bad, willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes. You know, um, man, what a great story, you guys. What a great trip. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing that with me. And and also, I love like the honesty too of sharing you know, shots that you're not happy with. And that stuff happens to all of us, but it's such a great learning tool for everybody listening, you know? So yeah, I just appreciate your honesty and appreciate you guys sharing the story. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're happy to share it. And I mean, we learned an immense amount while we were out there and had such a great experience where I know I'm super happy to tell it again and, and tell people what I learned up there because it was wild. Man, that's awesome. Well, you guys got to shoot me over a photo of those couple bears. Uh, did uh, Jeremy was your third buddy? Did he end up filling out? No, unfortunately, he did not. We did uh, when when Dusty took off to his uh, separate camp. Me and Jeremy hunted our butts off for the next four days straight and ran into some pretty tough weather to hunt in. And I think we tromped around that valley quite a bit and maybe pushed some bears out of there. And unfortunately, did not get him a bear. Yep, that's just the way it goes on those things. Um, success is not guaranteed, that's for sure. You guys sure earned yours, and uh, two out of three isn't bad for uh, an adventure trip up to Alaska like that. So, yeah, kudos to you guys. But, yeah, thanks again. I really appreciate you guys. What a great story. Yeah, Brian, appreciate the time. All right. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, that's a wrap. What I tell you, huh? Great hunting story. Uh, just a uh, uh, man. That's as exciting as it gets, and a little sketchy at times. Like being in those willows with that bear and emptying their pistols, and um, wow, it got western quick. And then uh, I was just uh, such an engaging story. I just really enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Thanks again to to Tim Evans and and Dusty Reed for coming on and and sharing their story, and, and then just being so. Um, honest and and forthright with with how it went down and mistakes they've made like that's how we all learn from it uh so just a a great podcast um hope you guys enjoyed it as much as i did Uh, i want to thank our sponsor for today's show eberly stock packs building great packs at a great price point super durable uh, pack the weight really well i'm just super impressed and and happy to have them uh, happy happy to be part of the team and have them support the podcast uh, make sure to check out everything we have going on at Eastman's, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to be good about releasing some good content and photos I have here, and and uh, putting some of these videos together. I know I sent in a bunch of my footage to my video gal in there, and so um, I haven't heard any feedback yet, but we'll see what she thinks. It, it's one of those things, kind of like 
a podcast or hunting or anything. Like the more you do it, the better you get. And so, you know, I think I'm getting good at, at telling the story, how I want it to be told and having the shots in there, um, you know, the cuts and the, the things that, that makes a really good story. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited to share it with you guys. Super excited about this podcast, everything I have going on. You can check out my other podcast, Eastman's Flycast. It's a fly fishing specific podcast if you're into that. Uh, man, the, the, the fall fishing, I haven't got out to do much as I've been so crazy here to hunt Western game throughout the fall. Uh, it kind of takes precedent and takes over, but excited to be getting back after some of these big browns, getting after some steelhead this winter. And then I always love the springtime fishing. So getting fired up. I've got some great guests, including one this week, Mike Lum, good buddy of mine, uh, a great Western hunter, great fly fisherman, one of the best guides on the Madison and um, just a, a fascinating conversation all about mindset and learning. And so much of this applies to, to hunting and to life and to everything else. It's just a great conversation, great podcast. So really excited to release that to you guys. You can check that out anywhere you get podcasts, Eastman's Flycast. And um, man, with that, that's a wrap. Um, Gosh, I uh, keep training hard here. I know on all my days off, I'm running. Uh, I actually took uh, yesterday off, um, got back, and just um, let myself recover from uh, the, the, the big hunt I had over the weekend and all the miles I put on elevation and then packing Dan's buck out of there. And um, so gave myself a day off and uh, feeling good today. I've already been on the pull-up bar and done some weights and... Um, it's cold as hell outside, but I'm going to get my dog out for a run here and, and, um, go through, go for a run through the snow. That snow puts such a higher level of exertion on me and on everybody really. And that goes for hunting or running or any, you know, the same distances I could run in dry dirt. You go do it in snow and takes me, you know, 10, 20 minutes longer. And then, um, you know, also make my legs sore, just uh, pushing through all that snow. But wintertime's good for me. Also going to get on the skis here before long. Um, I've just got those all-terrain cross-country skis, and um, I don't do uh, many of the chairlifts or the resorts or anything like that. But I just get back into these mountains uh, around my house, Madisons and Gravelies and tobacco roots, and can just take these adventures in the deep snow, and there's nobody around. Um so yeah, that'll be really fun and, um, man, just keep training and working hard. And, uh, I do have, uh, my Montana, my Montana tag left. And then I've got one more late season hunt that'll start January 1st, uh, for mule deer. So we'll see what I can do on that one. So a couple hunts to look forward to and, uh, just living my best life, having a lot of fun, um, making my daughter's games. Uh, my oldest just finished up her volleyball season, uh, my youngest finished up her volleyball season. Now she's on to basketball and uh, watched her first game last night. Um, boy, she has got the fire. <laughs> it's, uh, it's you know, at seventh grade basketball, like um, they're still improving on their skill set and they're still learning and they're going to improve a lot this season, but really fun to watch her play. Uh, she's still one of the smallest out there, but she has got some wheels on her looking to jump the pass. I, she must've had 10, 15 steals last night. Uh, had a hard time just running too quick for her own good, you know, but she, she threw up some good shots. She's got some good moves, good ball handling skills. So I can't wait to, to see her develop. And, um, she just absolutely loves it. And like I say, she's got that fire, uh, she just cannot be stopped out there. So I can't wait to see a couple more of these shots fall. She did make a shot last night, but um, 
she uh, missed quite a few layups, but gosh, at one point, she's running so fast to keep in front of those girls on those fast breaks, you know? At one point, it looked like she was going to dunk it, you know? She she just, uh, she leaves the air for these layups, and she's just in the air for so long, and I have no doubt these shots are going to start to fall, and she'll get a handle on it, you know, but... Uh, so fun to watch our kids play and watch our kids grow up and see what they truly like and be able to support their passions and and hobbies. She's got another game tonight, so I'll go I'll go watch that. And um, yeah, it's just super fun. Like raising kids, uh, it's just one of the most fulfilling things I've I've ever done. And my girls are just growing up so quick. I'm 16 and 12, going to be 17 and 13 this year. And, just trying to enjoy it and soak it in. And so we're we're trying to plan a trip for Christmas. It's pretty tough to travel with COVID and these different places. But, yeah, I think we we might have settled on a place and um, take these girls and go have an adventure with them and go have some fun. So really looking forward to that. I mean, in life it's about our, you know, it's, a, it's about having passion and these things we enjoy. But, I mean, some of the most fulfilling things in life is our family and our friends and, and – uh, I just want to do right by those people. It it just means so much to me. So to watch my buddy Dan arrow a really good buck and be able to help him out, like like I say, he had a tough early season where we went on a bunch of hunts and he wasn't able to fill out here and there for you know this reason or that. But to watch that guy fill out on a really good muley and be psyched, um, man, that is really cool. And and same thing with my other buddies, getting them opportunities and getting them stocks and um, you know, sharing sharing the knowledge that I have and the the locations that I have, and sharing it with people that truly appreciate it, that are that are my true friends, are is is um is so great. And uh, trying to put together a hunt with my dad here, I want to get out, get him out and go chase some deer around. So I still got some good season left. I uh, just absolutely love it, and uh, couldn't be happier. Like like doing what I love to do and and uh, work construction company everything's going good and we got you know work through the winter and and work for next spring and summer and we're looking really good there and and I also feel good about supporting my workers and their families and making sure that they have work and uh, paying them well and I know they work really hard for me so I uh, just got so much to be thankful for just living my best life here in Ennis, Montana. So I really appreciate you guys, the support of the podcast and everything I have going on just means the world to me. And, um, man, just want to keep at it, keep living my best life. And, uh, I know you guys do too. So keep working hard towards your goals. I hope you guys are out enjoying some of this, uh, November rut weather. 